Scripture reading from this morning is from Matthew chapter 6. Would we please rise for the reading of the word? I begin in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of God. Please be seated. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer throughout July. And we see that prayer is ultimately about intimacy with God. So are our prayers more about getting things or getting God? This morning we move to start looking at the requests. Lord, give us. Whereas other parts of prayer, like adoration, confession, thanksgiving, through these aspects of prayer, we can understand that we're drawing closer to God. When we adore Him, when we praise Him for who He is as Father, as Creator, as Lover, as the God who gives us mercy, the God who cares for us, we see that we're drawing near to Him. When we thank God for what He has done, we are showing that appreciation again, drawing us closer to Him. And when we confess our sins, we are laying ourselves bare before God as we can only do before those with whom we are most intimate. And then when we join God in praying for His kingdom to come and His will to be done, we see that we are in perfect union with God. But when we start making requests, that can often change. We can often move more into a selfish mode of, God, this is what I need, so give me. Yet, so much of prayer is about supplication. It is about asking. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. He told the disciples, I want you to ask for things in my name. Two of the Greek words that are translated prayer are ask and make request. So a big portion of our prayer should be bringing our requests before God. But does that make us more intimate with God? And I'd say it can. It can if we realize, first of all, that God has called us into such a union where his heart beats for ours even as ours beats for his. And that he truly cares for us and wants to give us that which brings us joy. Philip Yancey brings out another aspect of our supplications that truly draw us closer to God. He says this, 
Evidently, God likes to be asked. Certainly, God does not need our wisdom or our knowledge. He doesn't even need the information contained in our prayers. But by inviting us into the partnership of creation, God also invites us into relationship. He's saying that God has ordained prayer in such a way that it can move the hand of God. And we see a number of examples in Scripture where God was headed in one direction. The life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was going to die. His prayers changed that direction and he had a much longer life. And so God has asked us to come and join him in moving history forward. And that is what draws us into greater intimacy with God. It's like a mother bringing her daughter along to, to bake a cake. The mother has provided everything, all the, the implements needed, the flour, the frosting, the, the stove, but she's invited her daughter to come in and join in. And those times are among the most intimate of all. So this morning as we turn to look at the requests that we are going to make before God, let us use those to draw us even more close to God. Let's pray. Our Father, you've given us an awesome responsibility in our prayer lives. We pray that we would seek you, know you in greater ways, join in you with your vision for this world that we might come alongside and be participants with you. In Christ we pray. Amen. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer and we looked at the first aspect of prayer, our Father, and saw how it is so drawing us into intimacy that we can say, Abba, Father. We looked at joining God in the desire for his glory as we prayed, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Now we turn to the give us part. For the turn, prayer changes. It says, give us our daily bread. What do we want to ask God? I'd say if we're really going to come into union with God, then we need to first pray our Father, second pray, hallowed be your name, then, only then, are we prepared to pray, give us. We are first... When we make our requests, we need to understand that we are making our requests to a Father. One who loves us, who cherishes us. A few paragraphs later, Jesus will tie the concept of Father to answered prayer. Matthew 7, he says this. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? 
If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus is saying, if dysfunctional fathers on this earth desire what is best for their children, want their children to have joy, how much more so our Father, our perfect Father in heaven, wants that for us? So when we come to God with our requests, we have confidence that we are praying not to some faraway despot who's just using us, but we have a father who is willing to sacrifice so much that he can give to us. We need to come with that confidence. But it does raise a question. If this is true, then why are so many of our requests denied? In fact, when men, our requests are denied, instead of drawing us closer to God, it seems to get us to question God, to get us wonder about God. Does he really care? But if we know he's Father, See, we have to start our prayer requests with Father. Otherwise, we truly will question his love. See, if we start with, give me, and we're asking, and when we don't get it, we start to draw conclusions about God, we're, we're headed the wrong way. And it's going to move us further from God. But if we begin with Father and the love of the Father... And then we receive answers or non-answers to our prayer. We will still trust God. We need to have the attitude of Paul in Romans, a passage that was just read. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see? Paul's beginning place, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. If ever he would question the love of God, he goes to the cross and he sees the ultimate sacrifice being given. And he says, if God loves us so much that he has given the life of his son, why would we ever question that he wants the best for us? So we need to begin with this kind of father in our mind. Then we can trust him with our prayer requests, whether they're answered or not. If we pray for bread, he will not give us a stone. But what if we pray for a stone? Perhaps he will want to give us bread. And see, he loves us and wants to give us what really fulfills and satisfies, what really makes a difference, in our lives and others. Trust him as father, but also trust him as a father who is in heaven, a father who has wisdom. Again, just read Isaiah, it says, as God's ways are higher than ours, so uh, as high as heaven is above earth, so God's ways and God's thoughts are above ours. And so God has reasons for saying no to many of our prayers. We need to trust his heart that 
He loves us. We need to trust his wisdom. He's the God in heaven who sees things we don't see. Hebrews chapter 5, talking about a prayer of Jesus, I think shows us at least three reasons for why God doesn't answer the prayers the way we, we ask them. There's, there's many, many more that we can talk about. There's many more that we would never even understand. But I think these three might be helpful in helping us to trust our God. Trust our God's wisdom. Hebrews 5 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. When we read this prayer, what comes to many minds is the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember Jesus' prayer in the Garden. He says, Father, if there be any way, please take this cup from me. But not my will, thy will be done. But see, Jesus was saying, God, if there is any way, the the desire that I have, my will would be that I don't have to go through the cross, that I don't have to die, that you would preserve me. It says Jesus offered up prayers and supplication, loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Can you save me from death, Lord? And from an earthly perspective, we leave off the end of that prayer and just look at really what Jesus wanted was to avoid the cross, it seems God said no. And there's the same reasons we say God says no to us are seen here. First, our prayers often avoid suffering. Think of how many prayers we offer. We don't pray, oh, Lord, bring, bring difficulty into my life. Make, make the road harder for me. It's okay. Let calamity fall on me. I haven't made those prayers. It's like, can I escape this? And how about getting beyond that? And, and yet, it is suffering in life that it says, even here, Jesus learned obedience. He learned the specialness of obedience, the depth of obedience. Jesus in his earthly life was perfected through the suffering that he endured. And certainly we point to the suffering of Jesus, that ultimate suffering of going on the cross as the greatest act of obedience in all of history, of the greatest sacrifice of a man to God in all of history. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because he is after building us into the image of Jesus Christ. He knows that is the greatest thing for us and the greatest thing that could happen to us. And so often it is the trials and the tribulations that work into our lives to sandpaper away those character qualities that are not like Christ so that we might become more like Christ. Second, we see in here that 
our prayers aren't often answered because they're myopic. They only see part of the picture. They don't look beyond our own personal lives and our own personal interests. And those may actually conflict with a larger plan of God. We see that here. Being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. See, had Christ not gone to the cross, salvation would not be offered to any of us. It was not a possibility for any of us. So whereas Jesus could look and say, I want my life saved, if that was the case, all of history would be changed. We would all be lost. See, there is something much bigger than Jesus' personal life. And of course, that's why Jesus prays at the end of his prayer, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let's get a more, much more trivial picture of this. As I looked at the weather for Thursday night and saw how hot it was going to be, for our summer celebration. Also concerned about the thunderstorms that might ruin it. I was ready to, Karen and I say, let's pray that it won't rain. And then I started thinking, how many farmers are out there praying, oh God, would it please rain? You see, we often limit our prayers to our little world without thinking about what God is doing in the much larger and greater world. We can trust God's wisdom even when he doesn't answer our prayers. The third thing we see here is that whereas God didn't answer the will of Jesus, he answered the heart of Jesus in this prayer. See, Jesus prayed he would be delivered from death. He was in the greatest way, the grave could not keep him in. He conquered death and came back, rising from the dead. Now is the first fruit to show that we all could rise from the dead. So the words were, if, if I don't have to die here, but the real heart of Jesus' prayer is, God, I want to be with you. I want victory over death. That was much greater than the words of his prayer. And so often, our words don't fully express what the heart of our prayers are. And God is so wise and so loving that he goes beyond the words to answer the very heart of our prayer. Uh, many who've talked about this talk about how uh, when they're looking for a wife, they, they meet a woman and they say, God, I pray that she will become my wife. She's the perfect one for me. And God doesn't answer that prayer the way he would like. But down the road, he provides someone who is even better fit, perfect match for the person in ministry. He said, I thank you, God, you didn't answer the words of my prayer. But he did answer the heart of the prayer. Somebody might be praying, oh, God, please help me get into Harvard because I know that's really, that's the place where it's going to punch my ticket and my future is going to be secure and, and good and I'm going to be the best I can be intellectually, etc. You don't get in. 
but instead you get into another school that offers a scholarship so you're not in all the debt. Uh, it helps direct you into a whole new pathway of, of success, and you meet an, an incredible group of friends and a Christian fellowship where you just skyrocket in your spiritual life. And you say, God, I'm glad you didn't answer the words of that first prayer. What's really the heart behind our prayer? It's usually much bigger than the words. And God loves us so much, he answers the heart of our prayers. I remember Moses, when he, he prays to God, he said, God, can I just go to the promised land? And God had said, no, you can't go to the promised land. He said, no, God, just, can you rescind that one and just let me go to the promised land? He says, no. But go up to Mount Pishka and see the promised land. And you charge Joshua, and he's going to bring him into the land. And you see what God did? The words of Moses is, man, go into the promised land and touch that soil and just, you know. Or was the real heart of Moses' prayer, God, I want to be assured that the people are going to get to the promised land. I want to experience it myself. And he did by being up at the Pishka and seeing the entire. So such a vast display of the land. And he said, I want a part in entering it. And he did by mentoring Joshua. See, God answered the heart of prayers. That's how great his love and his wisdom is. So before we pray, gimme, let's realize the God to whom we are praying. We can trust him. We can have confidence in him. He's our Father who art in heaven. But before we pray, give me, give us, we also need to pray, hallowed be your name. You see, if we jump from Father to give me, we're going to start making our prayers more like we're praying to Santa Claus. Here's somebody who, who wants to give us good things. And so now, what's my list going to be that I can get from him? And so we start putting out all prayers that are shallow and selfish and moved by the emotions of the moment instead of prayers that are deep and powerful. So we have to pray through. Hallowed be your name. If we don't, our prayers end up being like those spoken of in James chapter 4. James says, you do not have because you don't ask. But you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what, what's James saying here? He's saying, God wants to give to you. And you often don't go to the path of God himself. But when you do, you actually pray for things that are actually substitutes for God himself. For instance... I might pray, God, I pray for my sons. I want them to be spiritual. Because they, they I, I, you know, because my heart would be broken if they, they aren't spiritual. 
because the church would look at me askance and may not value me and treasure me because of the, the pathway my, my kids are going. Uh, and you see what I'm praying is, I'm praying for God to feel my, feel my sense of personal significance, something that he wants to fill. I am praying for things to play, take the place of God himself. And God says, you know what that is? You've bought into this, the culture of the day. You've become friends with the world because they seek a variety of different ways to have their needs filled that, God, you want to fill in, in our lives. When we fail to pray, hallowed be your name, our prayers fall into the same thinking process of the world around us who does not know God. And we start to mimic their prayers and seek for fulfillment in life and purpose in life and relationships in life outside of God himself. We need to pray, hallowed be your name, Lord. My life, my prayers are about your glory. My desire, Lord, it is for you to be magnified. And then our prayers get centered around his glory. I'm reminded of the little booklet, Four Spiritual Laws, through which I was led to Christ. And it always stick in my mind, they had two different pictures juxtaposed, each with a throne that showed who's controlling life. And on one, they put the S for self. And when self is on the throne of life, it, it shows all the interests in life as little dots, and they're all over the place. No coherency. They're just a mess. And then it showed the picture with the cross, with Christ on the throne of life. And those dots and those interests off perfectly symmetrical around the cross itself and connected to the cross. And I'm thinking, when we pray, hallowed be your name before, give us, that's what we're doing. We're putting Christ on the center and the prayer requests themselves are going to be that perfectly symmetrical circle connected to the heart of Christ. We see this happen in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in the life of Paul. See, Paul was going through a difficult time a servant of Satan actually put a thorn in his flesh that we don't quite understand what it was, but it seems to be some sort of physical disability. Uh, and Paul saw that as an impediment, perhaps, to his ministry. Certainly it was uncomfortable. Um, certainly it, it led to lack of respect from many people. And so Paul prayed, Lord, I want this removed. And it might have been, Lord... You don't really care for me physically. I'm hurting. Please remove this. And God says no. And I pray, but God, uh, I need respect. Uh, I really need people to, to care for me, to, to listen to me. And God says, remove this throne. No. Uh, Lord, but it would really be helpful to your ministry if people paid attention to me. And I think this is hindering their acceptance of me, would you? And God said no. And then God spoke to him and said, don't you realize, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. And you know what Paul says at the end? 
I now boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might be in me. Do you see the two kinds of prayer? One where Paul's in the center of life. God, remove this, remove this, remove this. And then at the end, when Paul finds perfect fulfillment in the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of Christ, his heart is now tied with the things of God. And he says, this is powerful in my ministry. In my weakness, God is strong, and that's what I'm all about. That's the difference God makes in our prayers. And we can really, we can understand and know that we are lined up with God when we can argue our prayers before God. And what I mean by arguing isn't, God, you've got to do this, because you know, what I mean is like a defense attorney coming before a judge or a jury where he presents his case in a way that is convincing to that jury or judge. When we can do that with God, when we can use God's own thinking, God's own values, and God's own perspective in our prayers, we know we are lined up with the glory of God. We can have confidence God will answer those prayers. Daniel chapter 9 gives us a little show of this. Listen to this prayer. Now, Daniel has been, of course, in Babylon, and now he's, he's in, in Persia. They took over a Babylon. And he realizes, he's reading the Scripture, and he realizes that God said he would restore his people in 70 years. And Daniel doesn't just say, okay, good, I can just wait now because uh, the 70 years is about up and we're going to start going back to No, he prays. He joins God. And what God said he would do. But listen to this prayer. How many times the prayer says I, and how many times the prayer says you? Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his plans for mercy. For your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolation, the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O God, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city, your people are called by your name. He's wrapped up in God. He's using God's own arguments to God, saying, this is about your glory, God, your compassion for your children. Hear this prayer, and of course, God does. When we make our request, can we, can we point to that which is close to the heart of God to say, Lord, here's a reason to answer this prayer. So, before we say, give us, we need to pray, our Father, we need to pray, hallowed be your name. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. What's that prayer about? Well, right on the face of it, it's about physical sustenance. And I certainly think that is here. As soon as we hear that prayer, we think of that daily provision of God for Israel in the wilderness, where God looked after them 
looked after their physical needs so they could survive and go through the wilderness. He provided manna for them on a daily basis. Only two days when the Sabbath was coming. Otherwise, they were dependent upon God day after day. And so this is a prayer. God says, pray for what you need for your daily sustenance. Depend upon me day by day. Not, Lord, give us the year's bread. And so this kind of request keeps us realizing how dependent we are upon God. One of the great things I like about praying for the meal each time we pray is that it's three times a day. And I have to stop and realize that I am dependent upon God for everything. And then I express in prayer, and Lord, meet tomorrow's as well, for I'm dependent upon you for that. That's certainly an important aspect to this prayer. But I think there's an even deeper aspect. For so often when Jesus talks about physical bread, he's also talking about spiritual bread. When he took the bread at the Lord's Supper, he broke it. It was real bread. But he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. After he fed the 5,000 plus in the Gospel of John, they all came to them, and what did they want? They wanted more physical bread because Jesus provided. It showed his desire to give that which is necessary. But he said, but there's something much greater than the physical bread. It's a spiritual bread. I am the bread of life. And I believe, and many others do, that there's also speaking more fully that we receive Jesus Christ as the bread of our lives, as the spiritual sustenance in every way in our spiritual lives. I think it's a little bit akin to Jesus in John 15 where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. What is it? We're the branches that that bring fruit and produce fruit. But that comes through the life that Jesus Christ gives us. And if we are ever severed from that vine, we are no longer alive. Any fruit would dry up. We will not produce fruit. So we need to be connected to Jesus Christ. And what do we get from Christ? Life itself. What does bread bring us? It brings us life itself. And so he's praying here, Lord, may Jesus Christ, the bread of life, be our fulfillment and our satisfaction. May he be the one that meets every core need that we not, need not turn to everything else in the world, but Christ alone. And when we are fully satisfied there, We are ready to pray. We're also ready to live out the Christian life. Because notice these three next, the three requests here all relate to our spiritual lives. It says, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, and Lord, lead us not into temptation, give us spiritual victory. Now, this, the three together are very important, and we're going to unpack this more next week. 
Very often when I look at my spiritual life, I think of two things. One, I need to confess my sin and pray for spiritual victory. Lord, forgive me for where I failed, and now, Lord, make me successful in following you and obeying you. It's a spiritual life, right? No. Spiritual life begins with finding our fullness in Jesus Christ, then confessing our sin, then walking moment by moment with Christ. Because if we are not fulfilled with Christ, we will ultimately turn to sin to fill ourselves. Um, Tim Chester, in his book, How People Change, give a great illustration. Um, starts about Odysseus, who's warned as he, on, his, on his voyage that he's going to come across the island where the sirens are. And they sing such beautiful music. They're enticing, and they're, they, their song drives the sailors crazy so that they crash on, this, crash on the, the, the rocks and the sirens then attack them. He's warned about this, and so he, he puts wax in the ears of the sailors so they don't hear it, but he wants to hear it, so he has them tie him to the mask. And as they're sailing by, he's going crazy, but he can't get away. Uh, and he hears the sound, but he's actually going crazy during that entire time. Now, when Jason heads out, he has a different solution. He has Orpheus, who plays beautiful music. And while they're going by the sirens, Orpheus plays such entrancing music that the sailors pay no attention to the sirens because this music is so much more beautiful. When we find uh, the beauty of the song of Jesus Christ in our lives, that becomes the foundation for living the Christian life. And it also changes our prayers, what we ask for. For instance, if I find the fullness of love in the arms of Jesus Christ, in the cross of Christ, and I am so satiated by his love, I don't need to pray, Lord, give me love through this person or give me love through, through that situation. I already have it in Christ. When I find perfect peace in the promises of Jesus Christ, I don't need to pray for certain things in my life to be gone, to disappear, for I have peace in the storms of life. If I find perfect fulfillment of my, my purpose in life, I don't need to pray that uh, I get successful in this job so everybody thinks I'm important. If I find that the one who's died for me loves me so much, I know he can provide for me. I don't have to pray out of despair about my financial resources. And if I know this one not only died, but he would, is there ready to welcome me into his eternal presence, my prayers about health are changed as well. Now, I'm not saying we can't pray for these things. Because God wants to hear what's on our hearts. But if we first run them through our Father, hallowed be your name, Jesus is the bread of my life. Our prayer requests are transformed, if not in kind, in motivation.
and in rest and in trust in the one to whom we pray. What if Yancey is right and in our prayers we actually become partners in God's work in the world that he is going to create? What kind of world would our prayers build? What kind of world would our prayers be? What kind of world would they build if we prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Fill me this day with the fullness of Jesus Christ that I might walk in the grace of Christ and forgiveness with spiritual victory as you make me become more and more like the image of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of world that Jesus asked us to pray for. Our Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the goodness of Christ, and most of all, the cross of Christ that we can rest in and trust in, and it can be our guide and our source of life as we pray, Father, give us. Amen.